Graffiti is a crime. Whether you like it or not, it is against the law. So while many of you may listen to Behind the Crimes for real-life murder mysteries or games of cat and mouse between prime suspects and shrewd detectives, this episode is about street art. Yes, we're at the lighter end of the crime spectrum this week. Think of it as a sorbet between courses because the next episode after this one is big, dark and absorbing. But this one is hopefully just as compelling, only with a lot less death. We're not talking about just any old street artist, but the most famous, the most elusive, and almost certainly the richest graffiti man on the planet. A man whose name has become synonymous with secrecy and subversion, Banksy. Now, normally I interview guests, but today the guest is, well, it's me. So it's more of a briefing about how I had a major role in uncovering a unique piece of Banksy history, his only known on-screen interview. It had been lost for more than a decade. Where was it recorded? What did it show? What did he look like? How was it verified? It's a story that takes me to the man himself. My name's Robert Murphy. This is Behind the Crime. Behind the Crimes is the podcast that tells you about the biggest or most interesting cases from people who were involved, victims, detectives, experts, and sometimes even the criminals themselves. For more than 20 years, I've covered some of Britain's highest profile crime stories for television news. In this series, I'm making a deep dive into each case to see how crimes were solved or how criminals managed to evade justice. If you want to see images or evidence from each inquiry, watch video clips, read more, or get in touch, subscribe at robertsmurphy.substack.com and please do rate and review our podcast. And we would love you to spread the word. Please share this podcast. This episode is called Uncovering Banksy. I am a television journalist and I live and work in Bristol in the southwest of England. Now, I know many of you live in the USA, so to describe Bristol to you, it is very old, over a thousand years old. It's always been a port and for centuries it ranked alongside York and Norwich as one of England's most important cities after London. The voyage to discover Newfoundland sailed from Bristol and so many people from this city helped colonise the New World that there are 31 settlements in the USA and three in Canada, named after this, the original Bristol in which I live. It's also played its own big part in the dark history of slavery. Recently, Bristol's become famous for having a very artistic vibe. After London, the city produces more television than anywhere else in the UK. It is particularly famous for wildlife shows hosted by David Attenborough. Also, Ardman Animations, Wallace and Gromit and the like come from here. And it has a huge music scene. Bands like Massive Attack and Portishead. And part of that crowd in the early 2000s was a little-known graffiti man who called himself Banksy. Over that decade, the 2000s, he held a series of high-profile exhibitions in London and Los Angeles, and he became very, very famous. Yet his identity was never revealed. Still hasn't been, not officially. 
Soon, any new piece of street art by Banksy became a big news event. Remember, according to the law, this was a crime we're talking about. But Banksy did it with such panache, humour and daring that no one seemed to care. Everything seemed to culminate when he came up with a brilliant stunt in 2018. One of his old works of art, a girl with a balloon in a large frame, was up at an art auction. It had just been sold for over a million pounds when it started to shred itself. A million pounds half torn to bits. This half-ripped canvas would later be sold for, wait for it, 18 million pounds or 23 million dollars, a record for the artist. And that's just an example of how subversive, inventive and expensive Banksy is. So, by 2019, for my day job, I was sent to film a report about Banksy loaning one of his works to Bristol's museum. It's a fun piece of work called Devolved Parliament and it shows a painting of the House of Commons, but instead of politicians on the green leather seats of power, there are chimpanzees. I met Banksy's PR woman there, her name was Jo, and she was lovely, a really good PR woman. So I filmed the painting, did my interviews, obviously not with the artist, and went to the studios to edit my piece. But you know, I hate the predictable in life, I just can't bear it. If I find in the production that the rhythm and content of a news reporter are a bit obvious, I think people at home will too. I always want viewers to go away thinking, oh, I didn't know this, or ah, that's a good way of saying that. So I trawled the archives, and we have a lot of Banksy archive at work. On the TV archive systems, we have what are known as dope sheets. They list the images and interviewees on old news items. Then I looked further afield, nationally and internationally. And yes, I could go through all the highlights we all know and love. We've seen them all before. Time was against me, so I produced the best I could on the day, but I just felt I'd let myself down a bit. What could I do the next time I had a Banksy report to do? Because there would be a next time. It was later in the day after I'd filed when I found a dope sheet from a news report from ITV in London. It was dated 2003 and described an art exhibition held in the East End of London, which was called Turf War. It featured painted farm animals, real life farm animals. This was from just about the time when Banksy was well known in Bristol, but no one else really had a clue who he was. He was still trying to make his name. Then I saw a line on the dope sheet. IV Banksy. Now, IV stands for interview. Well, I like Banksy. I find him funny, but I'm not a raving aficionado. And I thought, I don't think I've ever seen an interview with Banksy. He'd had a film out, but I hadn't watched it. And when I looked it up, I saw his face was obscured, silhouetted. You couldn't see it, neither his hair nor his eyes. So could what was described on this dope sheet be an actual interview showing the face of the world's most famous and most elusive living artist? I called my colleagues in London. This would take some time, they said. The report was stored on tape, not digitally. Down in the basement of the newsroom, they said it was. Take a day or two to find. They were very busy, but they'd do it. Now, the word basement worried me. I had images of a dark subterranean storeroom. 
things get lost in basements, basements flood. What if this, potentially the only ever interview with Banksy, had vanished or been damaged? I think it may have been two days later when I got an email. They'd found the report. They were sending it over. I logged on, saw a link and I hit download. Now, I think I had a bit of a problem with my Wi-Fi or my laptop was so full of footage that there was no memory left, but it took some deleting of things and moving nearer my Wi-Fi router. But at last, the download seemed to work. Finally, it came up and said, complete. And I clicked the file. The first thing I saw was one of those clocks which news reports and bulletins used to have before they were broadcast. It had the new slug, that's the name of the report. The slug, or name, was Animal Art and it was dated the 17th of July 2003. The clock was set to three seconds. It ticked. Then it cut to black. The first image of the report was a cow sitting down, a real-life cow, but it was painted in red and white camouflage and was tearing at some hay with its mouth. It was sat in a huge, scruffy exhibition space with graffitied police cars behind it, and a strong Scottish voice boomed out, Smile, you beast. You're not just on camera, but you're a work of art, he said. This was the reporter. Great script line, I thought. The reporter is a pro and funny. Then the report cut to a man we see from behind. He was wearing a beige anorak, hood up, spraying a stencil of a beetle on the wall. That's Banksy, the reporter said in his strong Scottish accent. I couldn't see his face. Now the reporter started talking about anonymity and my heart sunk a bit. And then the report cut to Banksy, the Banksy, being interviewed. He was white, early 30s I'd say. He had a black t-shirt over his face showing just his eyes and a small tuft of brown hair sticking out from the side of a black and white cap. He spoke in a distinctively Bristolian accent. Now, I'm not a Bristolian personally. Uh, I'm one of the many Londoners who found their way down here. But the accent was so distinctive, long vowels and lilting intonations. He was talking, his actual voice not disguised, and he was the chap who the reporter said was Banksy. This was incredible. The report then started talking about the exhibition. It showed an RSPCA, that's a British animal charity, uh, inspector making sure the welfare was okay and the farmer who had lent the cows, sheeps and pigs to be graffiti for the show she was talking to. It was all above board, the report said. The next shot was a pig, which had been sprayed with blue and white checks like a patrol car. And we had a second quote from Banksy. He said, It's hard to make an entertaining picture at the best of times, but if you have something that wanders around and licks its nose or urinates, it's going to make the picture a bit more interesting, right? Yeah, funny quote as well. The reporter asked Banksy, You don't mind if I pass your details to the police? Banksy seems calm, wonders what to say. Then he replies, What details have you got? I know your real name, replied the reporter. The journalist ended the report by saying Banksy wouldn't be at the opening of the event in case he got arrested. The reporter signed off. Haig Gordon was his name. I thought that although I just watched a report about painted animals in a scruffy warehouse, this could also be the most incredible piece of recent art history. Did anything else like this exist? 
I looked online again. I had a couple of Banksy books. There were images of the man who might be Banksy, but no on-screen interviews. I couldn't find his voice anywhere. I watched the report again and again. What could I do to check? What about Haig Gordon? A quick internet search found he had written a couple of books about Scotland. One was called The Kirkwood Brightshire Companion. Now I've accessed a search tools and I found a man of that name living in the Cotswolds and there was an email address. So I sent an email to him saying, is this you? Was this him? The man who had seen, who had met, who had interviewed Banksy. This was unparalleled. And within half an hour, I'd reply. Yes, I'm the chap from London News in the early 2000s. What can I help you with? He asked. I said, do you remember interviewing Banksy? He replied again quickly. Yeah. He'd forgotten about the piece, but now mentioning it, he could remember it. Now, a quick point here. You might think, how the hell can you forget you've interviewed the world's most famous secretive artist? Well, in 2003, Banksy wasn't. No one knew him outside Bristol, really. And Haig would have been sent by his desk to interview some scruffy graffiti guys in London. Thought it was quite funny, but it's hardly a big story. And as a man who has worked in news for longer than is probably healthy... It's a funny beast, I can tell you. The story that you do on the day with a looming six o'clock deadline is the most important thing in the world. But the next day, the following story becomes the most important and yesterday's can kind of evaporate in the mind as you're focused solely on something else. And you also get a bit blasé with things in news. You see incredibly dramatic things. But after a little while, when you've seen so many... Some things get reduced to just sensory images in the mind, shorthand scribblings in a notebook and a couple of minutes of film in a news archive. So as Haig Gordon was continuing his career, forgetting about this weird art exhibition, and Banksy was equally going on to become, well, Banksy, I saw it as utterly conceivable that the one man who saw him could have forgotten him. I sent him the report and he got back to me later. Same thing. He remembered it recalled the guy he interviewed, but he had no clear memory of his face. Haig agreed to be interviewed. He came to my studios in Bristol a few weeks later, and I thoroughly enjoyed his company. He was an interesting man. He'd left television a good few years earlier. He had been something of a name in TV circles in the 1990s. He used to present in the Midlands with his then-wife, Anna Soubry, and she would go on to be a politician, a Conservative Party government minister, after their divorce. He was game for the interview. We set it up, watched the film together in an edit suite, and he delivered his lines brilliantly. He admitted, yes, he saw Banksy, saw his face, chatted to him before the interview with the mask off. He just couldn't remember what he looked like. He said he liked Banksy, said he feared he was being sent to some arty, pretentious installation. But when he got there and met the artist, he found him charming, warm and personable. Very funny too, he said. Just couldn't remember what he looked like. But the man had definitely been presented to him as Banksy. He was the artist. And this made the interview unique. As far as I could see, this was the only time Banksy was put up for interview ahead of any exhibition. But I needed to check some more. Many people think Banksy is something of a collective, 
He clearly works with others, he has to. I found a Banksy expert. There are quite a few in Bristol, but a friend of a friend is Richard Jones, and Richard has written a couple of books about Banksy and Bristol's deep culture of subversive street art. Now, this is where I need to make another point. Banksy's identity is known. In art circles, it's a completely open secret, particularly in Bristol. But there is a complete omerta about revealing him for sure. I've never known anything like it. So for Richard to actually confirm, yes, that's him, or no, that's not him, was always unlikely. As with everything to do with Banksy, it would be a nudge, a wink, a widening of the eyes that would give me a clue. I met Richard, showed him the film, and he hadn't seen it before. It was completely new to him. He wasn't sure if the man put up for interview was Banksy himself, but I did notice him looking closely at a couple of men standing, masks off, behind the shoulder of the interviewee. He did say the footage was incredibly rare, possibly unique, and he was excited by the find. I'd done my research, I'd found the lost report, I'd found the man who'd been there, and I had an independent expert who'd shown enough excitement for me to know that what I had on video file was important, if not unique. Now it was time to find Banksy. I called Joe his publicity agent. Her phone made a funny ringtone and she picked up. Oh, hi, she said. Yes, she remembered me from the Bristol Museum Day. But was it really important? She was on the other side of the planet. She said she was in China. Yes, I said, it was important. I'd found her biggest and most secretive client being interviewed and I wanted to offer him a right to reply. The phone went quiet. Okay, she said, finally, send me the images, and she gave me her email address. I took some screen grabs, still images from the video, and I sent them to that email address, and she called back half an hour later. Now, this is where the story takes something of a twist. She said there must be some kind of Chinese internet security she was behind. She got the email, but not the attachments and she said she was in the Far East for days. I said, well, I was publishing before then and couldn't wait. And Joe said, well, could I send them to another email address? And I wrote it down. It was Banksy's email address. She wanted to call her client to speak first to say what it was about. So could I hold fire for an hour? Of course I could. So I waited a while and sent the email to Banksy's email address. It is a very humorous email address. And I waited. Now, I don't know what I expected. He was never going to say, yes, that's me, the game's up, I'm unmasked. I think he wanted to just have an idea of what was going to be coming out. But an hour later, I had a new message notification from that very funny email address I'd written to earlier. Thanks, Rob. All received it said. And that was it. All received. We put the film out on the evening news. It went out in London and in the southwest region, which covers Bristol, and there was also mention of it on the national news too. And then things went a bit berserk. Before I knew it, the report was followed up in national and international newspapers. It ended up everywhere on social media, like you wouldn't believe, and the clips put up on YouTube went slightly bonkers. Later, it also appeared on documentaries about Banksy. Now, five years on, it remains, as I can see, unique. No other news interview with Banksy has ever emerged. 
It is, for want of a better phrase, a matter of historical importance in the art world. Whether you like Banksy or not, whether you think him a criminal or not, just because he's a stenciler and not a sculptor or a watercolorist shouldn't detract. He is an artist of incredible international significance. This interview I found is a one-off glimpse of someone official claiming to be him. So, who is Banksy? Well, I think I know. In fact, I'm sure I do. Although there is just enough doubt to make me question myself. I live in an area of North Bristol where my friend's parents have a bit of a community. People who've lived in this area for their entire 70 or so years. And one of that generation is Banksy's mum. Now, you can imagine get-togethers, can't you? In community centres, village halls and pubs for birthdays or whatever. Scepter and octogenarians who've known each other for decades, swapping stories. Whose child's just turned 50? Who's become a grandparent again? Whose daughter's just had a promotion? Whatever. What does Banksy's mum say about her talented but secretive son? It's not just him who lives a secretive life. But the myth has to be propagated by everyone around him. Mum, partner friends, collaborators. And another question. Is the man who was interviewed actually Banksy or a decoy put up for the cameras? He was filmed making work attributed to Banksy. That answer is, I don't know for sure. Could be. There are a couple of guys standing over his shoulder, the pair the expert Richard Jones was looking at closely. Could one of them be Banksy? Could all of them be Banksy? I'm sure one day his identity will be revealed, it has to be, but it would be a brave person who breaks that amerta, breaks the myth, breaks the facade. But until we know for sure what his face looks like, the image of a 30-something man with the old black t-shirt, which was stored on a videotape in a newsroom basement, is all we really have. I have Banksy's email address, perhaps I should ask him again. Being able to bring the interview to the world's attention was a joy, and talking about it again, now I know for sure how unique it really is, has been fun too. If you want to see my news reports with Haig Gordon unmasking Banksy, there are links on my publication platform. You can find me at robertsmurphy.substack.com and there you can find all my podcasts and content. If you've enjoyed listening to this on Apple or Spotify, please do rate and review it. Behind the Crimes is written, presented and produced by me, Robert Murphy.